Uh, such a beautiful, beautiful September weekend, and I just want to greet those of you uh, who are joining us from our other campuses, from uh, East Paris, Kentwood, and Knapp Street, and also those of you who join us uh, online. Today, we get to jump into this uh, series called Navigating Emotions. Trust me, this is a series that we need. So uh, back in the early spring, Pastor Aaron Buer and I were sitting down, we're uh, forming this uh, series together, deciding what put in it, what to put in, and we immediately realized that there was part of this navigating emotions thing where we were simply out of our league, and so we decided to phone a friend, actually phone two friends. Late June, like three months ago, we sat down in a conference room with two counselors, Kelly and Samuel, whose job it is to walk people through in their counseling ministries, various emotional challenges. And so we sat down with them in a conference room and we heard them talk about the primary emotions. These are four that seem to make most lists. Some have four, some have six, but these always seem to show up in one way or the other. Anger, sadness, fear, desire. Now, now sadness often expresses itself in deep grief, or loss, uh, fear often surfaces through anxiety, and desire often manifests itself in lust. And then Kelly said this, he said, most people, almost every person, will be battling one of these their entire life. Anxiety will simply be a lifetime challenge. Uh, Sadness bordering on depression will be a lifetime challenge. I heard one guy confess, I think my battle with lust will end about 15 minutes after I'm dead. A lifetime challenge. So just as we look at those emotions, anger, sadness, fear, desire, can you pinpoint which one might be your ongoing challenge. Can you pinpoint yours? I can pinpoint mine. It only took seconds in looking at that list to know that mine was right there, anger. Now, that may come as a surprise to you. It doesn't come as a surprise to my family. It doesn't come to a surprise to those of us who I I work most consistently with. My anger manifests itself in a hundred different ways, whether being quick-tempered with Chris, more so in the earlier days of our marriage, less so as I've matured. That anger manifests itself with a visual frustration with my kids when they committed the crime of acting like kids. And uh, I think you can imagine with a complex organization like Ada Bible Church, every once in a while, things do not go exactly as you had planned. And so from time to time, when I feel that my um, wishes have been ignored, now, not saying my wishes were ignored, I'm saying I think they might have been. I feel they might have been. There's this irritability that surfaces. So whether it's being quick-tempered or frustration or irritability, we're just talking about other ways of expressing anger. I got to tell you something. I'm just kind of convinced that I'm not alone today. I just kind of suspect, suspect there's a bunch of you look at this, a whole lot of you could pinpoint anger as just 
an ongoing struggle, how to navigate anger. Now, uh, our, our Bible uh, is not silent on this issue of anger. And we're given some very powerful instructions about the volatility of anger and navigating anger. Take, for instance, uh, James, a writer in the New Testament. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 19. Look at this instruction. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Each of you should be quick, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And just that thing at the top where it says everyone, every, every one of you, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Every one of you, every mother of preschoolers, every sixth grader who thinks their parents just aren't getting it, every assistant manager, every person at a family picnic trying to reason with a loony in-law, Quick to speak, <laughs> quick to listen, <laughs> quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. I need help. There they are. <laughs> quick, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why? I mean, it can't be that big of a deal. I'm so, you know, I blow up at people from time to time. I'm kind of hot-tempered or quick-tempered. Why is this deal of anger so important? And in the very next verse, James tells us why. James writes this. He says, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. There's something about human anger that just doesn't produce what God is after. Now, that word righteousness, it's a big word. Let me just simplify it by dropping a syllable, the rightness that God desires. There's something about human anger that just doesn't produce the, the, the rightness that God is after. The idea here is this, that uh, our world is badly broken so much has been lost, so much has bro been broken, and the idea here is that God desires to recruit you as a coworker to restore and to reconcile that which has been broken. And there's something about human anger that contributes to the breaking rather than restoring that which is broken. There's just something about human anger that does not produce the rightness that God desires. So let me put this another way. Um, there's someone that God has created you to be. Human anger can prevent you from becoming the dad that God desires for you to be. Human anger can prevent you from becoming the daughter that God desires for you to be. He, human anger, anger, rage, resentment can prevent you from becoming the friend, the long-term friend that God desires you to be. Getting upset, volatile, resentful, and angry will prevent you from becoming the godly influence in your church that he desires for you to be. Human anger does not produce the rightness that God desires. I think this is a massive learning opportunity. Say, so, well, what is it that goes wrong with human anger? Four things. Four things, and I will be speaking <clears throat> from a bit of experience. Four things that can go wrong with human anger that prevent us from becoming the people God is crafting us into. Uh, thing number one is I get, I get mad at the wrong thing. I just get upset at the wrong things. 
Now, I need to mention this because there is something called holy anger or righteous anger. Because someone say, Jeff, isn't it right to get angry sometimes? The answer is absolutely. We should be angry when we learn that elderly people have been taken advantage of. This should anger you. You should be angry when you find out that a child or children have been abused or neglected. Something, anger should surface in you. But righteous anger is usually about care for somebody else. And so when we look at the story of Jesus, there is one story that seems to surface in all of the conversations about right anger or righteous anger, and it's something that happened right here. This is an artist's rendition of the Temple of Jerusalem in the first century. Now, some of you already know where, where I'm headed with this. Uh, in the last week of Jesus' life, Jesus goes into the temple area, last week of his life, right after Palm Sunday, and he does something. Any of you know where this is headed? Okay, this artist rendition here of Jesus driving out the money changers and people selling livestock in the temple courtyards. It's called Jesus cleansing the temple. He is angry. He is upset. Uh, the courtyard of the temple has become a currency exchange and a place to buy animals for sacrifice. What Jesus said is, my father's house is supposed to be a house of prayer for all people, but you have made it a den of thieves, and you see the anger of Jesus. But here, I just need you to notice something. Jesus' anger is an expression, God's anger is an expression of his goodness. Most often, my anger is an expression of my selfishness. That's what I mean by I get angry at the wrong thing. Here's the deal. The courtyard of the temple was where these animals were being sold and where the currency exchange was happening. The courtyard of the temple, the court of the Gentiles, was the only place a non-Jew could go to pray. It was as close as they could get to the temple building, close proximity to the God of Israel. And so the space where a non-Jew would go to approach the God of Israel was where this supermarket was happening. This is why Jesus says, my father's house will be a house of prayer for all people. He is, he's, he's deeply hurt and upset that a non-Jewish person can't even approach the presence of the God of Israel without having to navigate all of this business traffic. But God's anger is an expression of his goodness. So often my anger is not an expression of my goodness, an expression of my Selfishness. I, one thing that can go wrong with my anger is I'm just, I'm just angry at the wrong thing. So we're righteous indignation, being angry with a holy anger. So often I'm angry for another reason. Here's a little list here. I'm not being heard. I'm not being understood. You're ignoring my directions. You're inconveniencing me. You're disrupting my tranquility. And things aren't going like I want them to go. Often my anger is a reflection, expression of my selfishness, not my goodness. Sometimes the term righteous indignation issues, it kind of is a joke, kind of is a punchline. Some guy will say, yeah, yeah, I, pull, I was in a hurry. I was late for a meeting. I pulled up to a stoplight. There was a person in front of me. The light turned green, and they didn't move. They didn't move for five seconds. How do I know? I counted. 1,001, 2,002, 3,003. 4,004, 5,005, and this clueless idiot didn't budge. And I was overcome by righteous indignation. Now, that's a joke. 
because it's probably not righteous indignation. And I pulled up alongside, and I looked into their window, and I was ready to give them some nonverbal communication. And I went, oh, that's my pastor. Hi. <laughs> See you on Sunday. Hey, friends, beware. Beware, never are we more self-righteous than when we have been hurt. We are capable of an infinite amount of self-deception. To be anger will almost always feel right when we have been wronged. What I'm saying is this. We should never underestimate our capacity to spiritualize our selfishness. We should never underestimate our capacity to spiritualize our selfishness. Some years ago, I read this quote about making God in our image, because the idea is we're, we were made in God's image, but then we turn around and try to make him in our image. And the writer said this. She said, I can be assured that I have made God in my image when God somehow hates all the same people I do. Beware, beware, beware. One thing can go wrong with human anger is I'm just angry at the wrong things, an expression of my selfishness, not a, a reflection of goodness. That's thing number one that can go wrong. Thing number two is not only the wrong thing, but it's the wrong speed. My anger is just way too quick, way too quick to become angry. But back to that verse in James that we looked at where it says, each of you should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and help me here, what circle, and slow to become angry. This, this isn't the first time this appears in our Bible. I mean, this is written, this is written to Jesus followers. It's written to believers after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. So apparently when you come to know Jesus, this isn't something that happens automatically. This has to do with God's ongoing work in you. But centuries before the coming of Jesus, we find this in the Proverbs, the words of wise King Solomon, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but one who is patient calms a quarrel. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict. And I can still feel kind of an objection, which is kind of like, well, 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 wait a minute, Jeff. Go back to that story with Jesus in the temple. Jesus lost his temper, and I lose mine. No, he didn't. In Mark's account of Jesus cleansing the temple... Jesus comes into the temple area on a Sunday, Palm Sunday, and then leaves. He sees all that's going on, all of the traffic, all the animal sales, the currency exchange, and then he leaves. And he comes back the next day and cleanses the temple on a Monday. Furthermore, in John's portrayal, Jesus comes in and sees what's happening in the temple, and he goes out, and in this artist's rendition here, Jesus is holding something. What's he's holding? He leaves the temple, finds some old ropes, wraps these ropes together, and makes kind of a makeshift whip, an equalizer, and comes in and drives out the money changers with this rope. What I'm saying here is Jesus doesn't just come in and fly off the handle. He's forceful. He's even fierce. He's strong, but his anger is not controlling him. He is in control of his anger. His anger is not controlling him. He's in control of his anger. He doesn't lose his temper, which is another thing that can be wrong, go wrong with our anger. It's just, it's just too fast. It's just too quick. So I'm going, Jeff, you're not helping at all. 
I know I'm quick-tempered. I, I don't know where it comes from. It's like just something, something simmering, and someone asks me to do something. I, I come home uh, from work. I'm tired. I sit down, and someone says, hey, could you go, what? And I go, where does that come from, that, that, that quick-temperedness? It's just like, boom, it's, it's there. Let's talk about that. It's my suspicion is that a quick-tempered response, an angry response, is usually a symptom of anger that's just kind of simmering beneath the surface. So let's go to the third thing that can go wrong, and it's, it's what I'm calling the wrong duration. This is powerful. This is important. Please dial into this, the wrong duration. Now, check this out. It's Ephesians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul is writing to believers who live around the city of Ephesus, and he gives them this challenge. He says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Can we read this one together? Ready? Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do you realize what the challenge there is? Don't let it simmer. Don't let it fester. Don't harbor resentment. Deal with it today. Deal with it today. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Release it today. Deal with it today. Don't let it simmer. Don't let it fester. Don't harbor resentment. Deal with it today. Okay, let's talk about up north. How many of you at one time or another have been to Petoskey? Petoskey, Petoskey, Michigan, up north. Okay, okay, lots of hands. Uh, last week, Chris and I were in the uh, Petoskey area. And um, uh, Petoskey, there's a, there's a marina in Petoskey. There's a, a breakwater and boats can come in and uh, tie up within uh, the marina at Petoskey where the little harbor is. But you go up around the corner and then you run into Harbor Springs and go just a few miles south of Petoskey, and you have Bay Harbor. So in that section, you've got a harbor, Bay Harbor, then you've got the marina, and then you've got Harbor Springs. These are places where boats can shelter from the waves of Lake Michigan. And so this picture here happens to be uh, Bay Harbor. So, okay, so this is what I was thinking about. This is what I was thinking about when I was up north. I was thinking about you, I was thinking about this message, and I was thinking about the expression harboring resentment, harboring resentment. Imagine that your heart is a harbor and you have some control over how long you allow certain boats to tie up in your harbor. And one of those boats that is gonna enter your harbor <laughs> is resentment. <laughs> when Paul coached believers in Ephesus, don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Deal with it today. What he's saying is this, is that there are, is a possibility that at nine o'clock in the morning, somebody says something they shouldn't say or does something they shouldn't do. And at 11 o'clock in the morning, someone uh, doesn't do something they're supposed to do or doesn't say something they're supposed to say. And this kind of resentment is like it pulls into your dock and it ties up there. This, this, this is what is so powerful. Some of you need to imagine yourselves at the end of the day walking down the dock, looking at the boat called resentment and saying, it's time for you to go now. 
it's time for you to leave. Thank you so much for your visit. I will help you untie, and I will help push you out into the lake. Seriously, some of you need to get to the end of your day, think about some of the stuff that's gone on, and just go, deal with it today, deal with it today, deal with it today. It's time for you to leave. Imagine yourself walking down a dock and saying, it's time for you to leave. Here's the, here's the deal. Harboring resentment over a situation at work, you come home, and if you're still simmering over that, higher likelihood you'll blow up at your spouse or your kids. Are you with me? Do, is it just me? Do any of you ever kind of bring things home from work? Here's the deal. Harboring resentment over people you don't like can cause you to blow up at people you do. It's sophomore in high school, harboring resentment over a situation at school can cause you to blow up at your parents. You have nothing to do with that situation at school. These volcanic outbursts don't come out of nowhere. Often they come from this festering, simmering, harboring resentment. And we need to deal with the resentments that's beneath the surface and not just look at losing our temper above the surface. Does this, does, does this make sense? Harboring resentment over a situation where it can cause us to blow up at people that have nothing, nothing to do with it. Therefore, they need to walk to the dock and say, you need to leave now, you need to leave now. You need, it's time for you to go. Now, there's a question that should surface out of this, and some of you are already there. And you kind of go, Jeff, aren't there some things that you can't resolve in a day? Absolutely. There are some things that are uh, unfaithfulness in a family, marriage, betrayal. I, my, my goodness, there's, there's an accident and someone you love is killed because of someone's carelessness, those things aren't going to go away in six hours. So there are some things that you can't let go of in a day. But I'm telling you, in the process of letting go, there needs to come a day, months down the road or years down the road, where you walk to the end of the dock and you go, okay, enough, you need to leave now. What's at stake here, my friends, is the person you are becoming. Because if you get dumped when you're 28, and you simmer and fester and harbor, you are deciding what kind of 38-year-old you're going to be. When you get deeply wounded when you're 42, the way you handle that, it's not just what happens, it's what you do with what happens. Whether you let that fester and simmer, that happens to you when you're 42. You're deciding what kind of 60-year-old you're going to be. It's said long ago that uh, you know, bitterness, hateful bitterness, it's, it's like drinking rat poison, hoping it will kill the rat. And it can consume us. This is a third thing that can go wrong with our anger. It's, a, it's the, I get upset at the wrong thing. It's the wrong timing. It's speed. It's just too quick. And the wrong duration. We have a tendency to cling to things. I read this description of forgiveness last week. It said, forgiveness is the art of releasing resentment. I love that. Forgiveness is the art of releasing resentment. 
Four things that can go wrong with our anger that prevent us from becoming the people God desires for us to become. Thing number three, the wrong duration. Thing number four is that I asked the wrong question. I asked the wrong question. Now, I believe that in all of our conversation today, I believe this is our most important conversation right now. I believe this will require the hardest work and could potentially have the greatest benefit in your life. It's been said that the anger is a secondary emotion, meaning that I feel angry because I feel something else. Uh, why am I angry? I feel anger because I feel ignored. I feel angry because I feel rejected. I feel angry because I feel like I'm out of control. It's a secondary emotion. I feel angry because I feel something else first, which means that there's often kind of a thing behind the thing. There's a thing behind the thing. And so those of us that are willing to pause and try to figure out what is this thing behind the thing, I think could make much more rapid progress in navigating our anger. And so the question is, it's the wrong question. The question here is that I have asked myself from time to time is, so why does this matter so much to you? You feel dishonored. You feel ignored. So why does this matter so much to you? So I want you to follow me to a situation. Uh, it is 20 minutes before the event starts, and it's a 15-minute drive to the event. There are five minutes before this car needs to pull out of the driveway. Dude is ready. Five minutes to go. Awesome. She's ready, too. No, 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 no. She's dressed. But then she's standing in front of the mirror with two different outfits. This has never happened to me. <laughs> Any similarity between this portrayal and actual persons living or dead is strictly coincidental. <laughs> Does this look too summery to you? No, I think it looks great. I think it looks fine. Three minutes. And then she decides to change. What do you do now? You pace. You pace. Maybe you sigh. A theatrical sigh, the sigh of an actor, a sigh that can be heard all the way to the back of the balcony. Oh, that didn't help. <laughs> so if I stop in this moment and I go, dude, what do you want? And why does this matter so much to you? The surface answer is I want to be punctual we got one minute to get the car out of the garage. I want to be, okay, what's the thing behind the thing? What's the thing behind the thing? And sometimes it's something like this. Successful people are on time. If I arrive late, I may look unsuccessful, and I need to look successful? And then that question, okay, and why does that mean so much to you? Okay, now we're on to something. But you got to go a layer down. you got to go a layer down, and you got to ask, what's going on here? And often you will find a deep, 
deep need, and you don't always even know where it's coming from. I mean, you can look at this. I need to look successful. I need to appear smart. I need the approval of others. I need to be in control. What does that have to do with anger? If I identify this as a deep, driving, life and death need in my life, and somebody gets in my way, anger vented at that person makes all the sense in the world to me. I don't think... I think most of us are just highly unaware of the messages that drive us through life. If you had a parent that said to you, why can't you do anything right? That leaves a mark. Someone criticizes you for doing something wrong as a 45-year-old, those emotions can resurface. Why do I need to do everything right? It's often a deep-seated some deep-seated need that I've concocted. If as an 11-year-old, she overheard her aunt say, well, she's not as pretty as her sister. You think that leaves a mark? Listen, to arrive punctually is totally negotiable. To arrive beautifully is far more important. And what you have is often just competing needs. If he approached his mom again for 20 bucks for a school event, and she said, no, you know, hon, we just don't have the money. Your dad's between jobs again. If you grew up in an environment <laughs> where work was kind of on again, off again, and income sketchy and finances sketchy, I'm telling you, kids make vows. I will succeed in business if it kills me, and you are. And it is. <laughs> I need, I need to look successful. I need to appear smart. I need the approval of others. I need to be in control. But often we only get this if we look at the kind of the thing behind the thing and go, and why does this mean so much to me? And in the meantime, there is a voice that is attempting to get our attention. It is the voice of our God who said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You find this in the New Testament book of Hebrews. If you have come to know the saving of Jesus, he came for you, he gave up his life for you. He died for you. He sends his Holy Spirit to live in you to pull off stuff you could never pull off on your own. If you know the saving of Jesus, then the voice that needs to be your primary identifier is to remember that you are his beloved daughter and remember that you are his treasured son. And we need to hear those words, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Business success may leave you. Control will never in total control for long. Beauty, as our culture views beauty, is fleeting. And we need to hear the voice, the secure voice, the safe voice, the voice that ascribes value. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. 
Whisper it with me. Ready? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I don't know what voice is ringing in your brain. Whether it's a voice from childhood or whether it's a voice from three weeks ago. But I think when we begin to recognize and explore our identity as one who is deeply loved by God, the more I tap into that identity, the more I can let other stuff go. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm not saying this process is easy when you find yourself stewing over something. I'm saying it's worthwhile. It's some of the hardest work, and it's some of the most valuable work in thinking about what you feel. And that's the goal of this series, to think about what you feel. years back, Chris and I were, uh, were here, city of Seattle, uh, we're there together speaking at a conference, and uh, one evening, conference ended, and there were some people we met, decided to go out with them afterwards, so we found ourselves at this restaurant, and one guy, I've forgotten his name, uh, one guy, he's just going on and on and on about his men's group, and how important his men's group is, and how pivotal his men's group is, and how much he loves his men's group, and I'm just like going, like, well, what, do you, what, do you, what does your men's group do? And he says, well, the first thing we do is we sit down, and we answer the question, Mad, glad, sad, excited, afraid, ashamed. I said, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mad, glad, sad, excited, afraid, ashamed. And I go, help me out here. I actually wrote them down. Mad, glad, sad, excited, afraid, ashamed. He says, yeah. Group of guys get together. His dudes are hanging out. The men's group. How you doing? Good. How you doing? Okay. How you doing? I'm all right. Well, good. That took 74 seconds. Uh, we can go to work now. He says, no, no, no. He's just, yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right. So he says, we make each other circle one. Today, what are you? Mad, glad, sad, excited, afraid, you blew it and you feel ashamed. And there's this follow-up question is, uh, mad, do you know about what? Sad, do you, do you know why? Excited, about what? Glad, about what? Ashamed, what? Afraid. Anything going on this week? Anything you're afraid of? He says, this leads to a just powerful and deep conversation. So I come home, got those words written down. And regularly, routinely, in my journal, when I wake up in the morning and all is not well with the force, I write down mad, glad, sad, excited, afraid, ashamed, and I circle one. Now you say, Jeff, how am I going to remember those? I'll tell you how. Did you receive one of these cards when you walked in today? There you go. Mad, glad, sad, excited, afraid, ashamed. Isn't that awesome? I would credit the person, but I don't remember who they are, and they probably stole it from somebody else, so it's ours now. <laughs> and then do I know why? Oh, my challenge for you is this. During the course of this series, can I ask you, can I plead with you, can I implore you just once a day to go on what's going on inside? And to pick one, mad, glad, sad, excited, afraid, ashamed. That's not where the power is. It's on the other side of the card. On the other side of the card, and I do this routinely as a personal practice, Heavenly Father, today please provide me with an extra measure of your, and I pick something. Now see, this right here happens to be something called the fruit of the Spirit. 
Some of you will recognize it as that. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This, this isn't the fruit of Jeff. This isn't the fruit of Jessica. This is the fruit that God will produce not for me, but he desires to produce in me. And when I identify mad, glad, sad, excited, afraid, ashamed, then I have the opportunity to go, okay, pick one, Jeff, pick one. Today I need a special measure of your, today I need a special measure of your patience because I feel hyper impatient. God, I need you to give me patience today. I need a special measure, an extra measure, an extra dose of your kindness. Because right now, I'm just not feeling all that kind. I need an extra dose of your gentleness. It's been a busy day. You're tired. Three grandchildren are coming over and spending the night. I need all of them, if that's okay. <laughs> Peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. What, what I'm asking you is this. Invite God in. <laughs> to whatever's going on. Invite him into your joy. Invite him into your excitement. Invite him into your shame. Invite him into your fear. Invite him into your anxiety. Invite him into your anger. This is what's going on. This is how I feel. I need you so badly today. Please do a work in me today by your strength, by your goodness, and by your power that I could never pull off alone. The reason we produce this card for you is because we want so badly for God to meet you in this series. And for some of you to begin to invite him in day after day after day and to see him begin to work to see him begin to work as you navigate the emotions of your life and begin to become <laughs> the person that he created you to be. Let me ask you to stand here at Cascade and also at our other campuses as well. I just uh, I get to pray for us before we blast out into our week. Gracious God, we give thanks that we have been in this space, in this company today to explore, to explore this incredibly important topic. We need you. We need you. I ask for my brothers and sisters here as they move into their week, may they sense your presence, may they experience your power, may they know your grace, may they find your mercy as they interact from day Today, we ask this in the name of Jesus who came here for us. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week.